Okay, we're continuing our series of teaching throughout September. And uh, you will know that these weeks of September, uh, really each speaker has been given the opportunity to just share a passion that they have. So it's not so much a preach, a sermon preach, it's more the impartation of a passion. So James passionately shared with you over the last two weeks about his heart for connection with God and let's go and let's go slow and all those things that you've heard. Next week, Catherine O'Shea is going to be sharing about her passion for evangelism. I've landed with this. The title of the sermon this morning is This Year, Let's Be Church. And I want to share my passion for you about God's heart for the local church. It's a bit crazy to try and do all of this in one sermon because normally we take a term, but I'm going to have my best shot. And my aim this morning is to impart to you a passion that I believe God actually already has in your heart. We just need to rekindle it and stir it. And for some of you, impart it maybe the first time. I'm going to say things that a number of you have heard before, although some of you won't have heard this for some time. I'm going to say some things that for some of you, this is going to be brand new. There's a whole new generation. There's a whole new crowd of people that are certainly part of this meeting that might not have heard uh, a preach on God's heart for the local church. And you know, every now and then, it's just really good to stop, to stand back, and to remind ourselves of what we're doing, why we exist. Why does this church even exist? It's good sometimes to stop and recast vision. And this morning I would love to also include an appeal for a recommitment and a response not imposed upon you because God never wants us to impose anything upon you, but something that you will receive again. You see, I think for many, many of us, when we've been around for a long time, we take things for granted. And that's really true of God's vision for the local church. I want this, I don't know if I can do this, but this morning I want you to grasp the wonder, the real wonder. I think in worship this morning, it was kind of the wonder of the glorious Jesus and amazing. And then we're going to do a sermon on church. No, I want us to grasp the wonder of a glorious church. I mean, if you've got a glorious head, surely you're going to have a glorious church. I think most of us think we just come in on 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning, we do this thing and go home. My passion this morning is we will all grasp the sheer wonder of God's purposes through his people. So let's kick off by referring to a very, very well-known passage of Scripture, Matthew chapter 16. And this is where uh, Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples and then Simon kind of makes a statement as to who Jesus is. And he says, uh, in, in reply to the question, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So let's take it up, Matthew 16, verse 17. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, so he changes his name, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Most evangelical scholars would agree that Peter is called kind of rocks, pebble, little pebble. And on this rock, what does that mean? On people that have the revelation that Jesus is the Messiah. 
That's one way to interpret it. Or another way to interpret it is, Peter, people like you on this rock, which means me, Jesus, I will build my church. The reason we believe that is because of other verses, Jesus refers to himself as the cornerstone of everything. If you know your theology of Catholicism, you know that I've just hit some real big issues right there. There are two, ver- two promises that are mentioned in this scripture in verse 18 that I want us to pick up. The first is this. Jesus promises, I will build my church. The second promise is this. And the gates of hell, death, Hades, will not prevail against it. Now, I think this immediately raises three questions. I'm sure you've already got them. Can he? Will he? Will they? So, can Jesus build his church? Interestingly, our worship this morning would indicate that he can. This glorious, risen, triumphant Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus died, but he rose again from the dead. That he's now seated at the right hand of the Father on high. That Jesus has all authority over all things. He's the first and the last. The same yesterday, today, and forever. So Jesus speaks these words with absolute authority. So the question is, does Jesus have the power and authority to be able to build his church? One and a half people agree. It's a big question. Because if someone makes a statement, you think, well, can you? Think of Jesus. Can he do what he said? Will he build his church? Well, I think the Bible declares that he's the name above all names. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess. He is the Lord. And because he's the Lord and he's all in authority, he can do whatever he has ever said he can do. So the second question is, will he? That's a very valid question. Jesus promised it. But the question is, will he keep his promise? See, the thing is, when someone promises you something, you have to, your assurance is in the person who promised the promise. So if I promised you something this morning, would you think that I have the ability to do that which I promised? Some of you, you would look at me and you would think, well, I don't know you. You're a stranger. And because I don't know you, I don't know whether you can fulfill the promise. On the other hand, there are some of you who know me really well and you're thinking just the same. (laughs) And there are some of you who are looking at the color of my hair And you're thinking, well, I'm not so sure because you might have even forgotten the promise that you made by the end of this sermon. So, I mean, what chance do any of us have? I don't think it's very wise to put your absolute faith in me. But think of the one who made the promise. Think of this Jesus. He made this promise. I will build my church. And he never breaks a promise. He never has, he never will. So I'm absolutely certain that he can and that he will. And then we have this question, will they? Will the gates of hell prevail against the promise of God that he would build his church? Well, because you're a Christian here this morning, probably you think the answer is no, they can't. And why we think they can't is because they're already being defeated. They cannot, they can thrash around But they cannot defeat Jesus, so it's true, the gates of hell cannot prevail. I think it's important to notice, because we forget this in spiritual warfare terms, they'll have a jolly good try. 
So you think, well, Jesus will build his church, gates of hell will not fail, hallelujah. Look, they will prevail as much as they can, but they just can't prevail. So it's important that we understand they'll try, but they absolutely cannot prevail. Yo, we've won, the victory is secure, look happy. Once you are convinced about those three questions, I want to suggest to you, you cannot remain passive. This is the big deal for us this morning. If you honestly believe that Jesus will, he, he will build his church because he's got the authority to do so. He will because he's faithful to his promise and the gates of hell will not prevail. You can't just believe that and do nothing. I think you need to make a journey. I think a journey needs to begin for you as an individual and it certainly needs to begin for us as a local church. And in order for you, just bear with me through this, in order for you and I to see the promises of Jesus prevail about his church as he has prophesied, and for us to get on this journey into action rather than passivity, I think there are three requirements that you and I need. And as I unpackage them, some of you will dawn on you, yeah, that's true, that's really important. Without these three things, I don't think you and I are going to see Jesus build his church in the way that he wants. So here are the three requirements that we need. The first is we need revelation. The second is we need to get ruined. And the third is we need to have passion. I tried to find a word that began with R and I couldn't find one. So you just have to do two R's and a P, okay? Revelation, ruined, and passion. You and I will always struggle with church. This church. If you're a part of it, or you've just become members, this is a great word for you, you are going to struggle now you've joined unless you get these three things in place. So what's the first thing? And I'm so interested in worship. This often happens when you're a preacher. The worship was all about seeing and opening your eyes and getting revelation of the real Jesus. So in order to really do church, let's this year be church, the first thing you and I need is revelation. I also find it fascinating. The verse we've just read, verse 17, Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So we have a God who is a God of revelation and a God who loves to reveal things to us. There are things today that we only understand because God in his mercy has revealed them to us. And so we need revelation. It's like the cross. You can hear messages on the cross. You can understand that Jesus died for you on the cross, that he shed his blood for you on the cross, that sins can be forgiven. You can hear that as a message over and over, but there needs to come revelation. I had that message every day of my life from the day I was born, four times a week. And it wasn't until there was revelation I suddenly saw saw it now yet there's loads of things in the Christian life that's like this grace I mean I I'd been Christians for a year years and years before I saw grace do you understand I got it through the word of God through preaching through people sharing suddenly it dawned on me Chris you can be a Christian and not really get grace grace is more than a doctrine Grace is meant to permeate every part of your life. But until you can understand grace, it's like the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's kind of like 
Once you, once you understand and get it and have revelation that this isn't me struggling to receive the Holy Spirit, but it's a promise of the Father and I'm a child and therefore I can reach out and receive the promise, revelation helps you to experience the things of God. I think exactly is the same when it comes to the local church. You've got to see it. You've got to get revelation about God's purposes for the church. This is not mystical. It's not Gnosticism. It's not there are some people here that go, they've really got it and you haven't. It's all in the word of God. It's all proclaimed in God's word, God's purposes for it. It's a clear vision re- revealed in the word of God and then demonstrated from the New Testament onwards. But it's still something you have to see. I'm amazed at the amount of Christians that I meet who haven't got church. It's just like they don't understand it. They kind of get that it's not a building, it's a people, but they still haven't got this revelation of what an amazing thing the local church is. You have to kind of get it. You have to see it. I I remember the day when I I got this revelation from God of what his purposes for the church were all about and that it's 21st century and it can happen through ordinary people like me. It's just mind-boggling. But you have to see it. I remember years ago, um, driving back from a meeting where I preached passionately about the local church and I'd taken two of my kids with me to that meeting and they were 14 and 12. And on the way back, the 14-year-old said, Dad, I haven't got what you've got. I said, what are you talking about? She said, you preach about passion with the church. I don't have that passion about the church. It's kind of like you've seen something that I don't have. And then the other one, the 12-year-old chipped in as well. Yeah, your generation, Dad, you're miles more excited about church than our generation. And I told him, all the lights were not. He was like, I actually took a detour on the way home so I could have plenty of time to speak to my two kids. And I spent the rest of the journey trying to impart to them what they couldn't see. This is really dangerous. You can be brought up in church and still not see it. Praise God, all my kids then, slowly but surely, got their own revelation of what church is and not just dad's. So it's vital that we have this revelation that really happens to us. I think some of us should be praying this this morning before the time I finish this sermon. Lord, would you please give me revelation of the local church? Why is revelation and vision so vital? The answer's simple. It's what keeps you going. So in other words, my present experience of new community as a local church is not the fullness of what the revelation I've received about church really is. There are things we're not yet experiencing that God wants us to experience. They're there in the future. So by faith, I do church. Every time I see something, I think, oh, that's not good news. That's not in the Word of God. I remind myself of the revelation of what local church really should all be about. Revelation is the thing that really gets you going, that one day we'll see these things. Okay, let's just look at a few scriptures just to confirm these things. This is a well-known passage of scripture, Acts 2. Look at this passage with me, verse 42. This is the church that Jesus is building, that he promised to build. Just think when I'm reading this, this is this new community. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon 
every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all that had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those were being saved when I first read that passage this is part of the revelation you need I thought I've never seen a church like that before and then I thought this is this passage of scripture there just to mock us like a carrot endlessly dangled before us and we're making moves and then pa is taken away it's just mocking us I mean what what kind of church is this and then I realized It's not there to mock us. It's there to be a model. It's there as an example. These were ordinary people. They were people just like you and me. Nothing extraordinary about them. But they had experience of local church that I believe, I may be foolish, that is God's will for us to see this too. And when you unravel the New Testament, page after page, you see revelation after revelation of what the church is really all about. I love the book of Ephesians. Because it's such a description of the church. Let me just show you. I'm going to do a whole book of Ephesians in two minutes. In chapter one, we have this vision of the local church as the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. In chapter two, James read this passage out earlier that we will be a dwelling place for God by his spirit. Chapter three of Ephesians, that through the church, the wisdom of God will be revealed to principalities and powers and to nations. Chapter four describes a church that's mature and united and growing and and not tossed around by every wind of doctrine, but really kind of growing to full stature chapter 5 which you often hear quoted at weddings is about Jesus and his love for the church and he describes the church as splendid he describes the church without blemish without spot without wrinkle he describes the church there as radiant have you got that? you say what are you talking about new community? yes chapter 6 is all about the church at war and how the, the church is an overcoming church in Jesus Christ that's the whole of Ephesians in two minutes But it's all about the church. It's about what Jesus is building. A glorious church. You say, my church that I go to doesn't feel anything like glorious. That's why you need a revelation. That's why you need to see the vision. Let me go on. The revelation describes us as the salt of the earth and the light of the world. We are a city upon a hill that cannot be hidden. A house of prayer for all nations, the joy of the whole earth. The royal priest, the holy nation, a people belonging to God. Made up of every tribe and every tongue and every nation. A family like no other family on earth. The bride of Christ. The kingdom of God comes through the church and expresses Isaiah 61. That we will be a people when the spirit comes upon us as a community. We'll heal the brokenhearted, set the captive free, preach good news to the poor. This is great stuff. But it's not a dream. It's not a thing that happened in the, 20, the first century and that's it. This is the church that Jesus is building. You need a revelation. Number two, you need to be ruined. It's a funny word, isn't it? But I think sometimes when you've had a revelation of something, it ruins you for life. I've seen something, I can't turn away from it. I've seen something and I can't go anywhere else. It's utterly ruined me. 
says when Jesus turned the tables over in the temple, this is what it says in John 2, 17. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Whoa. Zeal for your house will ruin me. Jesus was ruined. He was so consumed with zeal. And this is it, folks. In every town, in every village, in every borough, in every city, in every nation. It's why we plant churches everywhere and multi-sites. Because we have a passion to let this church be seen everywhere and demonstrated. And in order for that to happen, you don't, even, you don't just need revelation. Something inside you needs to ruin you. This is why I live and have lived most of my life in southeast London. And that's why you live here. You say, no, I live here because I've got a job. I live here because my family lives here. I live here because I found a really nice house and we just kind of moved into the area. I live here because the schools are the most outstanding schools in the country. I live here because it's just nice. London's up there and the countryside's down there. What could be better? Some people think you live in about the most boring place in the whole of this nation. And if you get the revelation and you get ruined, you understand the real reason you live here is so that Jesus can fulfill his passion for the local church that you and I and 50 people this week alone are becoming members of. Have you been ruined? Why do you need to be ruined? I said, why do you need to be ruined? Because then you don't give up or turn away when things start to go bad. Some of us think, well, it's just church isn't really what I hoped it would be. But you don't give up, you're ruined, and you press on believing that it will be. So you need to be ruined. I mean, let's be honest. People, you've, I'm in this church. That's enough reason to get ruined. People are in this church. If it wasn't for people, we'd be doing great. People say, the problem with this church is this person spoke to me and they hurt me. So I'm leaving. You haven't been ruined. Because when you're ruined and people hurt you because of the things they say, you press on. Because you believe for something better. You believe for what the word of God says. You don't just roll over and... Go away. You keep going. I think that um, there are disappointments. There's bad news. I often hear bad news about the church. I mean, generally, another guy, high profile, fallen into sin. And you hear these things, you go, oh, it hits you. What keeps you going is that you've been ruined because you've seen a vision. You believe in God for something so much more. I think when Liz and I were saved and got married and um, together, uh, we were very passionate about Jesus, but together we had a vision of the church because we just saw it in Scripture and through friends that shared with us. And I think we got ruined. The two of us got captivated the two of us just got kind of ruined by this vision that we didn't want to do anything else but see that the local church was the most exciting thing happening on planet Earth and we're going to give the rest of our lives to this. Which, as you'll see in a moment, is the same as living for Jesus. <laughs> Some friends of ours that I'd known for many years, we hadn't seen them for five years, so we'd been here for five years 
as part of New Community. And they have been on in a, an emission youth thing that took them all over the world. And they came and visited us after five years. And we said, it's great to see you. Tell us all the news. And so they started to talk to us. And it was amazing. They'd been church planting in Peru. They had been put in prison in Kazakhstan because they'd been giving tracts out on the streets. They'd seen revival happen in Fiji. And in New Zealand, they planted seven churches. And then they had been in Moscow where they had seen miracles beginning to happen. And over there, and it just went on and on and on, story after story. It took ages. And they said, oh, and what have you been doing? And honestly, we sat there and said, and church wasn't going very well, actually. It was going up and down and all over the place. We said, we've been helping Jesus build the local church. (laughs) And it sounded so boring. I mean, it sounded so empty. These are friends flying all over the world and doing all these miracles and everything. And we've been building the local church. I remember when they went, we looked at one another and we thought, is this it? And it's kind of like, we felt God speak to us and say, if this is all it is, this is it. You just stay and you build, you've got a vision and you believe God. And you're ruined because you know that God will use you for his glory. So year after year after year, and then I've discovered as years gone by, there are millions of other people like me. There are millions of people all over the world that have this vision. And they're ruined for the local church. Number three, passion. If you're passionate for Jesus, surely this is expressed in passion for his purposes. I find this fascinating that people are very passionate about Jesus, but not very, very passionate about what he's passionate about. Number one thing Jesus is passionate about is this local church, the local church, anywhere in the world. And so it's very weird to be passionate about Jesus and not passionate about his bride. I love the groom, not sure about the bride. Weird. And what you need to understand is that Jesus is very, very passionate about his church. The two go together to the extent that when Paul, as was called Saul, was persecuting the church and coming against the church and killing Christians, watching others kill Christians, trying to stamp out the church, put it into jail and finish it off. He then has this revelation as he's on his horse and, uh, and, and Jesus reveals himself to him and this is amazing for me look what Jesus says in Acts 9 verse 4 and falling to the ground Paul heard a voice saying to him Saul Saul why are you persecuting me and he said I don't even know who you are who are you Lord and he Jesus said I am Jesus who you are persecuting now I find this fascinating that for Jesus persecuting the church is persecuting me persecuting me is persecuting the church Jesus church tomato tomato you can't have one without the other and so I want you to be very very passionate about Jesus guess what he directs your attention as well to be very passionate about his people because he loves his bride and he loves his church and he's very very passionate indeed isn't it a tragedy that there are some of us, even in this room today, and certainly I meet them everywhere I travel, who genuinely love Jesus and can't stand the church. So there's all that. Talk talk about the church. It's about Jesus. Then the passion for Jesus finishes there. It doesn't go where his goes. They've given up. 
They hold the church at a distance. They've had bad experiences of church. And to every, and some of you have. And to everybody, sadly, has bad experiences of church. I want to say this. You can't stay there for the rest of your life. What do you do? You come back to the Word of God. And what do you do? You get a fresh revelation. What happens then? You get ruined all over again. And what happens then? You come back with passion. You draw a line. I know this sounds like it's not very empathetic, but I just want to say to you that even if we have the worst possible experiences of church and people let us down and it's dreadful, it doesn't change the vision of what Jesus can do through his church. We need to come back again. Church is plan A. And I've got some bad news for you. There isn't a plan B. There's only one plan. It's the plan of the local church. And Christians may have become disillusioned with church, but Jesus never, ever will. Jesus will never bypass the church. And 2,000 years later, as he looks at you and me and the church today in the United Kingdom, he doesn't go, oh my goodness, what a mess. He never says, I really regret those things I said at the beginning. I mean, look at you. You know, it's like Jesus says, I was enthusiastic in the early days. I wish I wasn't. Every promise, everything he ever says about the church, he still passionately believes in and he wants to work it out through ordinary people like you and me. If he is passionate about the church's bride, surely we should be as well. I want to round this off by giving you four things to practicalize, to practicalize this. Is that a word? No, to make practical and to just root it into, earth it into our lives. Let's be church where, number one, everyone has a part to play. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14. It'll come up on the screen behind me. When you kind of flick through this passage, you just see so many, it will come up. <laughs> Every, it just kind of like, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. So the description, as it goes on throughout, you can read 14 to 20, just describing, you know the passage, the one part of the body doesn't say, well, I don't need you just because you're part of that body, but that's the part of the body you're in. It's, it's so important that we all understand and realise that the church that Jesus is building is actually a very simple structure. I don't know where all our committees and how everyone, everything got so complicated came from, but the reality is, in the Bible, it speaks about certain... Hang on a minute, this is going. Certain uh, ministries that he's raised up, apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists, the Bible talks about elders and deacons, and that's it. Then it just talks about you, everybody. Every person, the body of Christ, playing their part. There is no hierarchy in the church that Jesus is building. There, it's just everybody is vital and equal and has a part to play. You aren't allowed to call me pastor. Several people have joined the church and said, pastor, pastor, pastor. I said, look, I don't want you to call me pastor. And he said, well, what can we call you? I said, hello, I have a name. <laughs> and one or two of them go, oh, I could never call you. By your yes, you can. It's just, it's just that we're equal. There's no hierarchy in the church that Jesus is building. It's the place where you discover your gifts. It's the place where you discover your abilities. It's the place where you discover what you're good at. It's the place where you discover what you're not good at. It's the place where everyone gets to play their part and everyone at New Community 
all has a part to play. Church should not be a nucleus of enthusiasts in the middle who are exhausted because they're doing everything. It is that every single person, you count, we need you. So in a church that Jesus is building, there are no bystanders. There are no spectators. There's never supposed to be people who occasionally turn up to a meeting on a Sunday. I'm not telling you anything radical. It's just the church that Jesus is building. And so the role of those of us who are in leadership is to disciple everybody in God to find out what God, the treasure that God's put within you and to find out what God has called you to do and make sure that you do it so that new community is full of people who do things in and out week after week. We couldn't do church without them. They're hidden volunteers. You see me, but you don't see them so much. That's how church functions. I can only do what I'm doing today because everybody else is doing what God's called them to do. And so it's absolutely vital that we understand. Here's another one. Two, let's be church where we love one another. This is the church that, this is the revelation and the ruination you need to get. 11 times in the New Testament, it says, love one another. To a very loving church. Wow. I love this little verse, found this last week. I mean, it's always been in the Bible, but I just found it. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 14. I've never seen it before. Let all you do be done in love. See, this trumps everything. This is, this is the most important thing, that we become a church and are a church, the church of Jesus is that we love one another. 1 Corinthians 13 indicates you can speak in tongues and prophesy. You can, you can sell all you have to the poor, but unless you love, it's as of nothing. So what does that tell me? It tells me in any local church that Jesus is building, relationships are all vital. I've been working with a church this week who have had a great vision. <laughs> They've done great things. I'll get you guys afterwards about this. They had a great vision. <laughs> and they, they've kind of gone for amazing things, brilliantly organized, masses of people coming along, and their relationships have all broken down. So my task has been <laughs> this week and other months to try and help them to rebuild it again. So you can do all this stuff, but unless relationships are key, then it won't work. You say, well, I can't relate to everybody in your community. I don't even the person sitting next to me. No, it's true. But you can relate to some and they can relate to others. Jesus had three, 12, 120. And if we all work out our relationships, our love for one another across the board... See, as elders and wives in this church, we meet together one evening every month, all together as couples. And we share our lives and we tell our stories and we pray for one another. And we have amazing food. You think, well, that's a bit over the top. No, it's not. Because unless we keep friendship and relationship and openness and honesty with one another, then nothing else is going to happen. And it's so important that what we are trying to build a model goes through every person in the life of the church. Community is massive. We've got a name called New Community. That's just not a nice name. It says something. And in a society where people are lonely and vulnerable and, and marginalized, we need to be a church that says all are welcome. And even all the well-to-do people around this area who look like they haven't got a problem in the world, and they really, really do, they are welcome here as well all ages all backgrounds we want to be a church of huge diversity not only in age but in every situation all languages all cultures everything making up the body of Christ where love is more than words and love is even more than affection 
but it really is demonstration. It says of the early church in Acts 4, there was not a needy person amongst them. You talk about we haven't arrived yet. I haven't actually found a church anywhere in the world like that. I don't know any church in the world where it can be said of them, and there was not a needy person amongst them. It's certainly not true of us. Ruined. Revelation. Passion. Are we the best church in London? I really hope not. I think there are probably better churches in this area than us. But this is the one thing I know. This is where God has put me, and this is where I belong. And if we're not the best, and there are better, our calling is not to be in competition, but to, to be the people the right place at the right time and let Jesus work out his purposes amongst us. This is where I belong, and I belong in a family. We're a family and not a business. And so when I hear, or as my wife heard on one of the prayer nights this week, someone said to her, I don't know where I'd be without this church. I love this family of God. So every time, we may not be the best, but every time I hear that, I think something's going right. Let's be, thirdly, a church where the presence of God is experienced. James read this earlier. Ephesians 2.22, In him also we are being built into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. We're a people of the presence of God. And wherever we are as individuals or gathered, Jesus said, where two or three of you are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. I would love to be in a church where there's the expectation as we gather and worship, God is here and we know it and we're pressing into him. And not just our 35 minutes of worship, but in the totality of what we are as a community. And that all people get blessed. Why? Because God's in the midst of his people. I can't tell you the number of people who are unbelievers who have come into our meetings and cried through the whole meeting. And then to find out afterwards, they never cry. And some of them, we've never seen them again. They went, they left, that was it. You think, why, what was that about? I think without knowing it, they've experienced and touched something of the presence of God. And of course, with the presence of God, there comes salvation. With the presence of God, there comes healing. Through the community that Jesus is building, where his presence is there, there will be physical healing and emotional healing, mental healing. My goodness, we live in a society that needs to find Jesus. When the presence of God is there, there will be freedom. The captives will be set free. When the presence of God is there, there's empowering and in strengthening. When the presence of God is there, it's about the Holy Spirit filling his people. Do you know that phrase, spirit-filled church? It's a phrase. We use it. We're a spirit-filled church. The reality is we need to be a spirit-filled church. We need to be constantly open to the fact that church is not a performance. It's not an act. It's not the band. And they were really, really good this morning. Amazing. And then next week, I don't know who's doing it, it might not be as good as they were. And we go, oh, that wasn't as good as life. That's got nothing to do with anything. Did you experience the presence of God? Did you know something of his near presence to us? Dependency upon the Holy Spirit is not an option. It's an absolute necessity. Finally, to be in a church where Jesus is preeminent. So I, I, I think we're on the way. I think in new community, more and more people are playing their part. I think in new community, we, 
We love one another. Maybe we've got a long way to go, but that's our goal. We know something of the presence of God. And finally, we need to be a church increasingly where Jesus is preeminent. Colossians 1 verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. I want to be in this church as long as this church keeps talking all the time about Jesus. And it's, uh, talking about Jesus is to be a church that presents Jesus in every way. Please, God, don't let us be a church that talks all the time about personalities or even talks about the most exciting, latest multi-site, multi-vision, multi, multi-purpose, multi-everything. We all get excited about it. It's important, it's there, but it's not as important as Jesus. Always about Jesus, the head of the church. So therefore, you go to a church where Jesus is preeminent in worship, in preaching, in structures, in relationships, in doctrine, and in lifestyles. We are following him, not us. And then Jesus said this, if I be lifted up, if I become preeminent, I will draw all people to me. So here we go. This is my final point, that as a church that Jesus is building, I want it to be about mission. We exist for those who are not yet a part of us. We exist for those who do not yet know what you know. I want to be a church that's constantly outward and not inward, inclusive and not exclusive. Shall I share with you, I don't know how long I've got, you know, how many more years I've got, but can I share that my greatest fear is this, that a church like us, like any church, will one day become an irrelevant ghetto, that we'll actually find ourselves Still doing, going through the motions, singing the songs and everything. But as far as the world's concerned, we're irrelevant. And we become a kind of baguetto. We kind of do Christian-y kind of things that the world increasingly doesn't even understand what you're talking about. That must never happen because that's not the church that Jesus is building. The church that he is building is where he is exalted and all are drawn to him. It's where people, look, we've got good news. It's just too good to keep to ourselves. That's the challenge. I used to think this, that if we just got, this is Liz and me on our first few years uh, you know, in New Community, if, if the vision of the church, if we just get the church right, then the world will come because the problem is the church. They don't come because they're all turned off. I was wrong. I preached some really good sermons actually in those days on something that was wrong, but hopefully they've been deleted. Anyway, <laughs> just get the church right, get the church right. The world will come, the world will come, get the church right. Now I believe this. Of course, God's purpose is that we get the church right so it's more relevant to everybody. But it's get the church right so that we might go. So we might go to where the people are and share with them the love and the passion that Jesus has for them as well. Shall we stand?